Hello, and welcome to Dear Fandom, where everything you like is terrible, and that's okay. I'm Megan. And I'm Hillary. And today we're going to be discussing Season 2 of The Umbrella Academy, which was just released at the end of July, July 31st in America. And uh, Hillary and I have had the last two weeks to binge it repeatedly, and we're here (laughs) to tell you the plot and our overall opinions. Um, This is going to be a very happy, largely positive episode, so... um... Good for you guys if this is the first episode you're ever tuning into. Yeah, Um, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Because sometimes we're just like, what the fuck for the entire episode? Yeah, yeah. Especially if it's something that Hillary's only into or I'm only into and then we just go, "I." but I have a question. (laughs) (laughs) So we can mutually agree. As always, this is not a spoiler-free zone. This is a spoiler-full zone. Um, and especially this, we're just, if you haven't watched the series, or if you haven't watched any of the series, what are you doing? But if you haven't haven't watched any of the series, we're judging you so intensely right now. So intensely. Why Um, are you here? (laughs) (laughs) But if you haven't watched the latest season of Umbrella Academy, please pause this, go, and we're going to be talking about the whole thing. So just like maybe come back to this in like, I don't know, 10 hours to a week. Depending now, on... To be honest, I'd say give it more time because you're going to need to do some rewatches. It's just it's just the nature of Umbrella Academy because the first rewatch, you're going to be like, oh, I missed some things. Second rewatch, you'll have a notebook. Third rewatch, it'll be a map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I noticed some things on my second rewatch that I didn't notice before, and that was crazy. So, yeah, um... Spoilers abound. Please go watch and then come back. And okay, have have you watched? All right, good. We're just assuming you've watched at this point. Okay, all right. So the basic plot. uh, So just to give you a rundown, even though you have already watched because you're great listeners and fans, um, the basic rundown is um, from the last from the prior season. um, They have prevented the apocalypse in their timeline because Five has created a portal to um, transport them all somewhere. They, we don't know where they're going, we don't know what's happening, and it turns out that he fucks up again because he's not very good at this. And and that's, I mean, that's that's the biggest question, I think, for all of the fan base is like, well, he's like 58 at this point. Why is he not better? <laughs> that was my main criticism. Um, so he scatters them along three years of the early 1960s in the same place, in the same alleyway in Dallas, Texas. So, um, Klaus and Ben arrive in 1960, um, Allison arrives in 1961, um, I believe, um... Luther's next. Luther's next, he's 1962, and, um, Vanya's 19, like, early 1963. Mm-hmm. I'm and definitely... Then, and then Diego is after Vanya, yeah, but Diego, they arrive within a, within a short period of one another. Yes, exactly. They arrive within a short period of one another, and... Then um, Five arrives much later, like a few days after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and the world is ending. The apocalypse is happening, and Hazel, our fan favorite from last season, is like, yo, dude, come with me if you want to live. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, don't say it. She said it. I said it. No, no, listen, I mean, it doesn't matter any version of Cameron Britton from any goddamn timeline, and I'm like, I'm heading. (laughs) I'm there. God. 
Uh, the thirst brigade is real. All the girls. And I just, art. I'm just giving you guys a fair warning. It's just gonna be Hillary giving a plot synopsis, and then it's gonna be me interrupting with, "Oh yeah." <laughs> Everyone is at the, their peak hot. Every adult, may I say, because please don't, please don't be weird about Aiden Gallagher. Please don't be weird. Yeah, about we're, him. We're, that's yeah, we're, that's probably goes without saying. But I really, I mean, I hope it would have to go without saying. Um, but we're just gonna preempt this by saying well as hysterical it is as five saying i'm the daddy here which is a line in the series in case you you, you decided to continue listening and didn't watch season two uh just because he says it it's, it's in context with the character because the character is a 58 year old man not aiden gallagher is a 17 year old child and let's stop sexualizing 17 year old children all right continuing uh, all on. right yes thank you <laughs> yeah no thank you that is exactly what i wanted to say scatter symbol on the timeline and so um Hazel brings him back to 10 days earlier, and it is Five's job to find everyone, bring them all together, and prevent the apocalypse again. And um, Diego has ended up in a mental institution. Uh, Vanya is uh, on a farm, uh, starting a lovely relationship with a frustrated housewife and her and uh, taking care of her autistic son. Mm-hmm. Um we got Klaus started a cult. Like, that's just what it is. I mean, it was the 60s. Like, what else are they going to do? Like, they didn't really have, like, a lot of TV options. The Honeymooners sucked. <laughs> <laughs> the Honeymooners was the 50s. Yeah, exactly. So it had been on for 10 years. <laughs> just saying, like, how many reruns are we going to watch here? Let's just go on a bus and smoke a lot of weed. Yeah. <laughs> Luther, Luther's working for, like, a mob boss daddy and is, like, a bouncer at a club. Um, I think it's important to add that the mob boss he's working for is Jack Ruby, who, in in context of American history, is the man who killed Lee Harvey Oswald, who is the man who killed John F. Kennedy. Thank you. Yes, I uh, I had forgotten this fact, and I actually only discover I only made that connection the second rewatch. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> Listen, I'm not American history. It's not uh, my thing. So. Uh, see, JFK is the one uh, politician that I really am very highly aware of because me and JFK share the same birthday. And it's totally a giveaway as to my birthday, but like, mwah, congratulations. There's like millions of people who have the exact same birthday. Good luck figuring out the year. Um. Megan, you've mentioned your age before. People Shh. are not. <laughs> Shh. I can live in my paradise. <laughs> so, um,. Uh, five, five brings them together. Um, there are a whole bunch of other plot elements that are like, oh, um, and Allison has ended up, um, being a civil rights organizer. She's married. She's, you know, um, living a really happy life. Like, and she has, in her own words, earned everything herself. She has not used her power. Yes. Because she regained the ability to speak. Her throat was still slit when she came into the 1960s and like she slowly regained the ability to speak exactly and it was pretty amazing that they addressed that like like by because i think one of the questions a lot of the fan base had was at the end of the season you know when they travel back in time they become children for a hot minute and you're like oh maybe they're going back in time and they'll be sent back into their child bodies like five was and allison won't have the, the damage to her throat anymore and she'll just automatically have her rumor power. Ben will be alive. Like these were all questions that I had at the end of season one. And um, I guess they just threw that in there as a red herring. They're like, haha, just jokes on you. They're still adults. Um. Yeah, that's, that is actually, um, because I did a lot of like sort of 
I did a lot of like TV tropes and sort of fandom research and you know archive of our own to see like what the fan base is was making of the you know the season one finale uh, into season two. A lot of people went that route. They were like, okay, so like and did a continuation of um, wrote their own season two with the kids as like with the Hargraves adults as kids. Mm-hmm. You know, um, which was, like, an interesting take on it. So, yeah, that's basically, and um, they meet up with their dad at some point. Their dad's got, a, like, an nefarious pot. The handler's back. Like, you thought she was dead? Bitch ain't dead. Nope. <laughs> she had a metal plate installed in her head at some point in the timeline. We're not going to use past or future in this context. It's just going to be called the timeline because everything goes on at the same moment. Um, and otherwise I'll get really confused. You'll be like, in the past, but who is past? Because it wasn't wasn't technically the past. They're living, um, there are modern people living in the past as well with, you know, Lila is a great example of this. Mm -hmm. Lila's a new addition to the cast as well. She is great. She's wonderful. And this is the biggest spoiler that we're about to give you, aside from the handler already being alive, which you're going to find out in episode one. Uh, Lila is in fact part of the 43 children who were born on October 1st, 1989. Yes. Uh, and that's probably the most hype thing that they could have done for this season was to talk more about the other, uh, so we have minus seven, 43, 36, um, <laughs> <laughs> minus seven, carry the one. Um, so 30, I guess 35 if we exclude Lila. Uh, so by a- addressing the additional children, because season one talks about Leonard, who just happens to share the same birthday. However, obviously his mother and father had gotten pregnant nine months prior to Leonard being born. So Leonard just happens to have a birthday of October 1st, whereas Lila was part of the 43. God, leave it to a Libra to end existence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. And uh, so one of the things that, so with Lila's specific arc is Lila's very much this, uh, uh, this uh, unknown factor, you're not really sure where she stands uh, on a lot, like throughout throughout the series, uh, throughout the season. And it's great because because you're not sure if she's good or bad. It's it really creates, I think, for the viewer. Like for me personally, I was in love with how like fucking kick ass Lila was at the beginning um, because I had no idea. I was just like, yeah, she's a kick ass lady. That's it. I also loved that Diego and Lila just looked like gender swapped versions of each other. Yeah, it, was, <laughs> it like further it like further proves the theory that like all, like sometimes people gravitate toward like fucking people who look like themselves (laughs) it's it's and the thing is like obviously they they act similar they have like similar haircuts like they definitely have similar choices and style for the 60s and you're like yeah you're just it's like somebody was in the sims and they made diego and then they just pressed the the gender swap button and then lila popped up and they're like all right i've created my two characters for this arc (laughs) (laughs) I i have done it i have um God, they're and like she's they, different because she's got a fringe. That's what's, it. What's so? Uh, let's yeah. So let's start. Um, let's start this podcast off by talking about Lila. That's um, good because I think she is the biggest. Because um, she's not in the books. Like she's in a completely original character. Huh, that's um, fun. Yeah, she's. Um, She's like Eudora Patch. She's like a lot. I feel like they're they're just creating Diego's love interests. <laughs> I I also want to say so. I have done some 
you know, research. And by research, I mean, I put on YouTube videos when I'm at work about Umbrella Academy and I like listen to them in the background. So I catch like exactly 16 words out of every two and a half minutes. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, so this is something we addressed on the last uh, podcast, which is that, you know, uh, all of the Umbrella Academy originally were white people. And like one of the things that surprised me the most, and I know it sounds silly to say, but Diego has always been called Diego. Like number two was always Diego. And I looked at the picture of him and I'm like, that's a blonde, tall, white dude. (laughs) And it's never addressed. And like, it kind of makes much more sense to make him like, a Mexican-American character. Exactly. <laughs> and it just, like, that's one of, like, that's what I feel with regards to the TV show. The TV show is absolutely improving in every way, shape, and form on the comic. Like, the comic is your bare outline, and it's, you know, it's something that you look at, and you're like, okay, this is great. I love this aspect and this aspect. Like, I love the idea of Diego, you know, having the power he has. But there's just not enough emotional development in this character, and I want that as a reader, perhaps. Like, maybe Steve Blackman read the first two, uh, first, like, you know, um, Hotel, not Hotel Oblivion, um, the Apocalypse Suite, and Dallas, and he's like, I need some more Diego. I want to love Diego. And then he's like, all right. And then he wrote the new character, and every year. Watcher was like, I also love Diego. (laughs) And like, I feel like Lila kind of serves as a foil to Diego because Lila does whatever the fuck she wants. And she's like part of, she's part of the original 43 and she has, she herself, another, okay, another big spoiler. She has powers too. (laughs) Yes, I think that's, I think that's the biggest spoiler we can give in this, in this recap is that the other 43 have superpowers. That's basically the, the general consensus of the fandom. Uh, end of the fan base without it being directly confirmed by the creators of either the TV show or the yeah. comic. Yeah. Uh, Diego is bound by the sense of duty, I think. He is bound by this sense, this huge sense of right and wrong. Hence his obsession with stopping the assassination of JFK. Hence his, like, the second he lands, like, in an alleyway, he saves a woman from getting her purse stolen. He is bound by the sense of duty. Whereas mm-hmm. Lila's like, fuck you, I'm gonna do what I want. I'm very self-serving. And it's through her love for him and finding out the fact that her entire life has been a lie because the handler taught her to be that way. You know, yes. the because ha- the handler is very much like that. She's very much like, well, fuck you, I'll take this for myself. And, you know, mm-hmm. now, that, um, now that it's been exposed that the handler, like like order the hit on her parents like yep exactly and uh the person so with the with her her introduction in the show is you find out the handler is the one who who uh took her away after her parents were assassinated her parents were assassinated by elderly five you know five in his 50s and on it's basically she had no idea she believed that her parents had died in an accident um, I mean, akin to, like, Harry Potter-type origins, except a more human reaction-type situation. It's, it was uh, it was actually, she thought they died in just a regular home invasion. Oh, a home invasion. Yeah. Like, so, but it was the same kind of, this kind of lie that, like, Harry had been told. Like, you mm-hmm. know, your parents died this way, and he finds out it's much more brutal than that. Yes, and the same exactly. thing with Lila. It was, she thought it was a home invasion. There was nothing she could do to stop it. She was a three-year-old. Um, or four, I guess, at that point. Yeah, she was four. It was like, it was a home. You're right, though. Like, it was something impersonal because home invasions are not personal. No, like, no. And usually, um, with regards to like, uh, you know, death is usually, I don't want to say like, I mean, I mean, specifically in film and television, a home invasion, if people do die, it's usually like, I would say an accidental death as opposed to they entered the home with the intention of murder mm-hmm. like type situation. And that's why I think Lila as a character never obsessed over solving 
who killed her parents and was more obsessed with becoming the best fighter that she could be and, you know, uh, using that anger and rage that she had to uh, channel it through the commission. And it and it worked really well for her character development, I think. I completely agree. And it, like, you feel for her so badly. And especially when she draws the wrong conclusion, you're like, ah, oh, Handler, yeah. you fucking magnificent bastard. Like, <laughs> Handler, so just quick segue into Handler. Um, obsessed. Obsessed, 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 obsessed. Like, why can't I have every fucking villain like this? Like, I... I hate her and I adore her because damn, oh my God, can I please raid your fucking closet? Like I, oh my God, look at that. Like her coronation outfit, Lila comes in. She's like, so is this just like a promotion or are you becoming queen? And I'm just obsessed. The handler is my favorite in terms of like complex villains because yeah, I mean, at face value, if you were to just read the lines, yeah, she's evil. But Kate Walsh, who plays the handler, just gives this kind of like 50s, like Stepford businesswoman type personality to these lines and and this amazing sense of fashion and the way that she carries herself in those clothes. Like I, every part of the handler is, is a masterpiece. I worked for a woman like her and she came in every day dressed to the fucking nines. This is, uh, this is back when I worked at a certain theater, which I will not name, um, uh, for anonymity purposes. And, um, you know. As uh, I've listed my, my birthday and year of birth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you where I worked, but don't worry. Megan's social security number is. <laughs> I'm sorry. Continue. She can't come back to me. So this woman, she would come in every day dressed to the nines and she would never yell. She would never curse. She, she would like say like alternatives to curse words, but she would make you feel six inches tall. And it was like, and I like, I was like, I was like, is that you? Is that her? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Steve Blackman did watch you at work, and he goes, oh, that's the perfect villain. (laughs) She she would be like, she would assign me an impossible task, and then when I asked for help, she'd be like, well, I thought you could handle it. Like, the way she treats Lila. Yeah. Well, I would say that that, that one of the recurring themes throughout season one and two is this... uh, toxic parents and this constant need to fucking like beg for your parents to love you when your parents and especially in the case of reginald and the handler they don't deserve it they straight up bought sold or stole you you know and uh i i really do love this especially since i'm about to be a parent I love this idea of exploring what it means to be a parent. Is a parent just someone who feeds and clothes and trains you in the case of the Umbrella Academy and Lila? Or is a parent someone who offers that emotional support in the case of Grace? Oh, who is a robot. of which. <laughs> yes. Grace. Spoiler, she's also in this season. Except she's not a robot. <laughs> um, yeah, we have the contrast of the real Grace, who was a true parent and a true caregiver and who Reginald may have programmed those characteristics into 
the robot Grace that we grew to love in the first season. Yes. She was one of my favorite parts of the first season. Mm-hmm. The These contrasting, like, you know, ideas of womanhood in the first season. We have the handler who's this, like, badass woman who's, like, whose attitude is, like, not nurturing at all. And even and especially when we find out she's a mother, you're kind of like, huh? But, you know. Yeah, like, Absolutely. And I think with Grace, when she's introduced, so we're used to very much 50s housewife Grace, which is like, oh, hello, children. And then uh, Diego sees her at a party at the Mexican consulate when him, Five, and Lila are trying to uh, locate Reginald and specifically this group of 12 men uh, that they believe are plotting some kind of end of the world apocalyptic scenario. Uh, And they run and Diego sees Grace from across the room and... Uh, one of the one of the cornerstones I think of TV Diego is his relationship to Grace slash mom, and real life Grace is a woman from Texas. She's a scientist. She specializes in primate studies, from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of akin to Jane Goodall, uh, except instead of British, she's Texan, and it's amazing because uh, the woman who plays Grace for both robot and human Grace, she really does give a different depth to the character as a human that Reginald did not program into the robot. Yeah, and uh, I really, I think Jordan Claire Robbins or Roberts or something like that is her, is the actress's name. And she creates two entirely different people of the same character. Like, you can see kind of the similarities, but like the human grace is like very much more sardonic and she's very like... Um, she's not as, you can see that Diego is struggling and she's very kind to him, but she's a little patronizing and it's really interesting to see. And he like recognizes that she's being patronizing and like the whole exchange between them is just, ah, Diego is baby. I mean, Diego's whole arc for the season is really quite transformative. That's one of the things about season two that is a gigantic, amazing improvement on season one is that with season one, I don't think that they had enough time to really focus on any one character enough to the point of giving them a satisfying emotional arc for the audience. We were all like, Luther was upset because he was on the moon and daddy didn't love him. And uh, and Vanya cries a lot, so I don't like her. And uh, Klaus is the best, Flo. And and that's basically it. And, And I mean, Five was generally considered a very good character, but not every character was treated the same in season one. In season two, I would tell you that, I mean, like, I've taken those fucking BuzzFeed quizzes and they're like, if you have to get rid of one member of the Umbrella Academy, who would you? And I'm like, Reginald? And they're like, not an option. And I'm like, please, Reginald. Like, please, Reginald. I don't want to get rid of any of the seven. I love I them. can. I have never seen such a change because in season one, I was like, yeah, Luther's dumb. I don't like Diego. Allison's kind of weird. But season two, it gives, it makes them so much more human. Like, watching... Luther's transition, watching Diego's transition, watching Allison's, Vanya's. I mean, Five is basically the only one who remains consistent in terms of personality. And that makes sense because he's in his 50s and you don't really have a lot of personality changes. Even if you go through a gigantic life event at 58, you're still going to be basically the same person you were before the gigantic life event because at 58 you've become jaded and you believe that your ways are correct. Exactly. Not that I'm speaking from any side of experience or anything. <laughs> Um, but anyway, and it's just, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, you know, like, for example, it's like Luther went from like a whiny man child who like 
pity himself to this like soft himbo who's like wonderful. <laughs> and like I, one of the things that I was watching in a review of Umbrella Academy was uh, somebody was complaining about, and I'm not going to use any names for any YouTube channels because I'm not here to like shit on their opinions because everyone's entitled to their own opinions. But they were upset as to Luther using. Um, so one of the things that he does for Jack Ruby is is a uh, cage fighting or whatever the '60s equivalent is, underground boxing ring. Um, and Jack Ruby bets on him, makes a good amount of money, and then he continues to work for him as his bodyguard. So one of the fights he throws after he finds out Allison has gotten married. And I love that it addresses how kind of fucked up it is that he's in love with his sister. And Allison addresses it, Klaus addresses it. It's addressed throughout the entire family. So I like that because it's like, yeah, family secrets, everyone knows usually. We just don't talk about it because it's not normal. So we just gotta pretend it doesn't and Klaus, on the other hand, is like, let's get drunk and talk about how fucked up you are and how the strongest relationship in this family is five fucking a mannequin. <laughs> yeah, Klaus is like... Klaus, Klaus, is a, Klaus is... That's the one thing It's consistent is that I, the fandom is just like, there is no wrong that could happen to Klaus. And if you touch him incorrectly, I will take your hands off of your body and throw him into a river. <laughs> You're right, though. And um, that's why I have no, like, not a lot to add with regards to how, like, Klaus's sobriety is important, but again, it's not so much about Klaus this season as it is about Ben, you know? Yeah, and, like, here's the thing about, um, the thing about his sobriety and, like, going off the wagon and stuff, like, and... I, you know, like, as a person who is, like, actively trying to stay sober and stuff like that, I'm, I'm very open about it. I don't care. Um, you know, like, I wasn't, like, a raging alcoholic and addict like, you know, Klaus is, mm -hmm. obviously. <laughs> but, you know, like, um, I can, like, you can relate to that. Like, the tiniest emotional trigger can, like, make you want to do that. And, you know, Absolutely. it's a matter of, like, like, if you, like... I mean, and he had a major thing happen to him. He had the love of his life essentially deck him in the face. And that is such a, that is so, so sad. Like, you know, I mean, he was going about it the wrong way, but he was, you know, desperate. And, um... I think that's how we can sum up season two, the Hargreaves action, is they went about it in the wrong way. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> but, like, none of them, but it just shows how emotionally stunted they all are. They all weren't raised well. Like, yeah, exactly. Because, because just like with Lila, Reginald only cared about actual academy training, making yourselves as invincible as possible. Mm -hmm. And with, with Klaus, you're right. It's, it's, uh, so that's another spoiler. Sorry, we're just going to, like, like, you know, uh, cap them, cap each one before we say it. Dave is back. Dave is younger, obviously. Vietnam occurred in the late 60s. This is set in the early. Uh, so Dave is back, and uh, Klaus, in a desperate attempt to try and save Dave's life, tells him not to join Vietnam uh, years before uh, Dave even enrolls. No, sorry, not years before. Days before uh, Dave enrolls uh, in the army because of JFK's assassination. I uh, know we hadn't entered Vietnam until I believe 65, 66. Um, it could have been 64, but uh, it's it was definitely the mid 60s. So it's it's definitely this is coming out of nowhere for Dave. He has no idea who this person is. He has no idea why he's approaching him. And more importantly, is Dave's in the closet uh, because he's it's the 1960s. It's Texas, and he's terrified. And Klaus is coming out here and he's like, I love you and I want to protect you. And uh, Dave is egged on by his uncle, Brian, I believe. Yeah. And, he, and he, his uncle tells him to punch Klaus in the face and so he does. 
Yeah. And that's something that, that Klaus, it destroys Klaus. I mean, he does go on a bender for a day or two. Um, and it's it's it, it hurts, but I understand the reaction and why Klaus, Klaus did what he did. I was about to say cloud, and I'm like, no, wrong game. Klaus did what he did. No, it's the thing is, the thing is, I I'm very, you know, like I'm very sympathetic to people who are in recovery and going through. It's not, it's not linear, and I think the show does a really good job of showing that. Like, yeah, you, it's not guaranteed. You know, yeah. you can go for like three. Because uh, Ben mentions he's like, and we'll get to Ben in a second. Um, Ben mentions that, you know, he'd been sober for three years. Like, he'd been sober for the entirety of the time they were in the 1960s. um, Probably to achieve enlightenment or whatever. But, like, um, you... It can go away in an instant, you know? Well, I would even... I would even stretch to say that he exchanged one addiction for another. Because one of the jokes that Klaus obviously makes a lot throughout the season is how much he has sex with everyone in his cult. And how everyone in his cult Buxom. And I mean, listen, uh, no judgment here. I would as well uh, if I were not married. Um, <laughs> but but I, you know, I think that's what it was, is he was seeking comfort through human uh, interaction. And that was like, you know, a carnal human interaction. And it, it may have just become a sex cult um, in that sense, because a lot of the jokes that are made, especially in the later season, especially by Ben, uh, are about sex. And one of the things that Ben can't have is a relationship with another human that's not Klaus and uh and, and it actually it even touches more on you know Ben's need for physical affection having a, been a ghost so he can't really get that and um his his uh, interactions specifically with Diego and Jill who's a member of the cult are just and Vanya I forgot of course and Vanya are just you know they're 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 the kind that, that, that like tug on your heartstrings and you're just crying at the end of each episode and you're like I don't know why I'm doing this. Um. Well, in the first season, um, Ben is in Ben is in the closet with um, we, when uh, Hazel and Cha Cha have captured Klaus and Ben is in the closet with him. He's like, you piss away like everything you take for granted everything that I lost and you just piss it away. Like yeah. you just this is what you do. Mm-hmm. And um, he probably I mean Ben is probably like. <laughs> Not, uh, this is not something I like to think about, but Ben's probably present during, like, at least a few of those orgies. And, like, no, yeah, absolutely. And I think Klaus has just probably learned to tune it out at this point, mm-hmm, yeah. uh, which is, which speaks to just Klaus being able to, like, like, the same thing, I mean, in, with any addict, you know, you're, you're told that you're gonna die from the things you're doing, and they just tune it out. They're just like, I don't care. Um, and that's, and that's something that, uh, I think for, for Klaus, his conscience is a person, not just a person, his brother who passed away at 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah in 2006 he was 17 um and that's a rough thing to experience as a uh you know as 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 for a person to just like have your conscience be literal in the form of your dead brother who uh, who uh at the at the last episode they, they they touch on ben's funeral by the way it's never revealed exactly how he died and we're not we're, i'm not even sure we're ever gonna find out but <laughs> I, I think Steve Blackman is going to eventually. Apparently, do uh, according to like I've dug on this because a woman obsessed I am. Of and, course. Um, apparently, it was Gerard has said that it was very violent. He was in his late teens, mm-hmm. and that they all have a role in it. 
Well, I mean, the way Reginald like leads that uh, eulogy is that you all were prepared and you all failed your brother. He basically blamed the siblings of Ben for the reason that Ben died. And uh, that's a rough thing to hear at your brother's funeral uh, from your dad. So, you know, starting off good, starting off great. Um, (laughs) Reggie's got that uh, not human touch. Really, Um, really is great. But just going back to Ben, like, because I want to, because we still got to touch on Vanya and Allison. Yeah. Yeah. Touch on Vanya and Allison. Um, so with Ben, his, so he, again, a spoiler, he, he dies, 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 like moves on to the next life type situation in this season. Uh, Vanya is having some kind of, uh, she's being tortured basically by the FBI, you know, as you do. Um, <laughs> and, sorry. As the FBI does, you know, they just kidnap people anonymously and torture them and then they pretend like they don't know who they were. And uh, so unluckily house. <laughs> fucking hell, Jesus. Um so yeah, sure, what are you gonna do? Like, please. I'll be like, I'm pregnant, and they'll be like, Oh, I'm so sorry, ma'am, wrong house. Um But I just there's there's a... so Vanya's going going in She's being electrocuted, basically. She's having uh, just electroshocks thrown through her body, and she's having these uh, pulsa- pulsing vibes come out, and neither Klaus nor Diego nor Allison can help her. Uh, they, it's just too strong. They can't make it through. Well, luckily, uh, Ben doesn't have a physical body, so he can just head right on in. And he he possesses, I guess possesses is the wrong word. He possesses Klaus, but in with, with, uh, with Vanya, he literally enters her subconscious, and he enters specifically the white violin, and uh, he's able to get Vanya out of this, what I would call a panic attack, I think is what's occurring in the best way I can describe it in like not superhuman, supernatural terms. Uh, she's having a panic attack that's, that's reiterating and killing people, specifically the FBI agents in the room. Um, and, and Klaus is able to talk her down and, and kind of just be there for her without you know, dismissing her feelings. And it's amazing. It's, it's, uh, it's, he, it, it, what he does is he saves the world, and nobody knows it be- except uh, for Vanya. Yep. Oh, okay, all right, I'm good. Um, I, but it's it's just so sad. It's it's so sad. And one of the things he says as he's like you know oh. disappearing, and oh, Vanya, as I go. yeah, and he looks at Vanya and he says, "I have a weird request." And she goes, "What is it?" And he goes, "Can I? Can you hug me as I go?" And they hug each other, and he just kind of like like uh, just disappears into light, I guess, like 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 flits off into light, and it's this beautiful closing arc that Ben was able to save the world without necessarily using that power that he was born with, that horror power of the Cthulhu or whatever. He just approached his sister and he said, you know, other people may have called you a monster, but you're not. You're beautiful and you're wonderful and you're amazing. And it's just, you know, and like she's berating herself and it's just such a scene of true humanity just overarching with this very supernatural feel but it's it's all about how you know sometimes those who can help you the most are are people like sometimes you can't help yourself and you need that external force you need that sibling or that best friend to sit down and let you know that what you're feeling may suck but just know that I've never seen you as a monster and you've never been a monster you know I love you more than anything else in this world and hearing those words of affirmation is what got Vanya through it yeah and like all these little last season was so much was it was so dark and like all the siblings hated each other and then this moment at this season we had so many moments of the siblings bonding and like loving each other we had that beautiful moment between uh, ben and vanya and then we had 
Klaus, Vanya, and Allison like dancing around the hair salon, and yep, which was so cute. It was uh, amazing. And then we have fucking <laughs> Olga Faroga. <laughs> Olga Faroga, where Diego's like, ah, is that who this is? And then they find her name, the textbook, and they're like, we're going to fucking kill you. That's another, that's another thing. Uh, Diego and Luther's relationship has healed so much. Like, yeah. and they hated each other in the first season. And now they're like, they're bros. And like. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, one of the relationships that I think was, was viscerally cut, I mean, literally cut was Allison and Vanya. Um, at the end of season one, Allison went to rumor Vanya and Vanya straight up slit her vo voice box mm -hmm. so she could not talk. And what that ended up doing... Now, for Vanya, she happened to be in, on the... And when I say lucky, I mean it in the context of the Hargreaves siblings are not lucky children. Um, no. But Vanya got lucky in the sense that uh, after destroying the world in 2019 and being sent back to 1963, she lost her memory of everything. So she's hit by a car. She's rescued by a woman named Sissy and Sissy's autistic son, Harlan, and basically becomes a live-in nanny where uh, uh, Sissy's husband, Carl, has agreed to house Vanya for the time being so that they that she can take care of Harlan while searching for people who knows who Vanya is. Who knows who, who knows who, that's a very weird English sentence. But anyway, <laughs> um, long story short is uh, this is, these are the, these are the farm lesbians that I've been waiting for personally my entire life. Um, and like, I'm, I'm obsessed specifically with uh, Sissy and Vanya's relationship uh, because Sissy's also coming from a place that Dave's coming from just, you know, as a, as a lesbian woman, she married a man because it was expected of her in the 60s. It was just, well, actually the 50s they got married. And, you know, Carl is very much, when I say like uh, men in the 50s and 60s just didn't believe they needed to be involved in their child's lives, I speak from legitimate experience. Uh, my grandparents, I literally both my grandfathers on both of my parents' side were like, oh, beating my kids? Obviously, that'll help them. And you're like, yeah, this is good. Why do you keep talking about it like it's an achievement? Like, yeah, this is illegal. Both my grandfathers, they didn't beat their kids, but they certainly were absent. They certainly did not hang out. Well, it was either it was either beat your kids, drink yourself to, to blackout stupor, and never be involved in your kid's life, or leave your kids. It's just a lot of different... Or cheat on your wife and, and, you know, have 17 kids, and, you know, all of your kids hate each other. Obviously, dads in the 50s and 60s were very well-adjusted individuals oh, who had no issues. Absolutely no issues whatsoever. So getting back to the really good people in this story, Sissy and uh, Vanya, Sissy and, Vanya uh, and Harlan as well. Harlan um, is so good. Harlan is a really great uh, interpretation, I think, of because a lot of movies and, and TV shows like to touch on autism in children. And uh, it, I, I mean, it's it's hard because autism is, is kind of the equivalent of saying depression is the same through everyone. And it's not. It's it's literally it's it's a it's a you know, there's many different shades of autism and, and how it affects children and how it ages and how it you know and how it affects you as you age and I think the kid who played Harlan did a really wonderful job uh just with regards to um you know something like needing Vanya and Vanya not being there and his reaction to Vanya not being there and Sissy depending on Vanya to be that kind of security blanket that that she is to Harlan and it was just it's really beautiful to watch and I think Overall, I'm gonna. I mean, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say Sissy was probably never straight. 
Um, because I can just tell by the way, every time Carl touches her, she's like, I'm gonna peel my skin off. Um, <laughs> it's, it's great. It's just gonna, I'm gonna take an acid bath after this. And, uh, and with Vanya, there's just this, this tenderness and this love. And also specifically, Sissy makes the first move, which makes me as an Ellen Page fan and also another, just another, add another member of this cast, specifically the first member of this cast that I wanted to marry, but another member of this cast that I want to marry. Um, she, you know, she, it's, I think it's something, it's important to me specifically that you, we stop creating this narrative of like, you know, you're going to turn our women gay. And instead it's like, maybe your woman was already gay. Like maybe, I don't want to, I don't want to assume here, but like, Maybe gayness doesn't, you know, it doesn't just happen. Like, it's not like we, like a light switch and then everyone's like, oh, I'm gay now. It's more like I hate being with men, but I'm forced to by societal constraints and restrictions. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd set me on fire and call me a witch. I feel like it's a common, it's actually like I've, um, you know, as, as a queer woman myself, even though, you know, I am not a lesbian, um, it is a common narrative with like woman leaning and like lesbian women to feel as though they like have to participate in compulsory heterosexuality like they mm -hmm. have like like oh like she probably like sissy probably you know that whole story she tells in the barn where she's like my uh, my sister brought me to meet this guy and she probably like looked at him and was like okay i'm going to decide to like him as opposed to, like, actually falling for him, you know, like, naturally yeah. and organically. And, um, yeah. Um, as for, as for Harlan, I thought that the, um, they handled the autism aspect really well. The fact they never belittled him for no. his... yeah. Um, they showed the prejudices people have against him and the frustrations that parents have sometimes, but he was always really well-loved and, like, accepted mm -hmm. for who he was, especially, which is remarkable in the 1960s. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And specifically with his relationship to Vanya. So at one point he runs off the farm, he, he runs into a lake and he drowns. Uh, Vanya is able to rescue him and save him. And in the process, uh, sort of transfers a portion of her powers to him. Mm -hmm. Kind of like they're sharing this same life force. And uh, it's, it's actually, it's not really just explored like like barely enough I think for me as a viewer like I'm like I could have taken another 10 episodes of this shit yeah um, <laughs> but but it's it's what it's left off at is that Vanya you know uh when Vanya is ha is having those uh the FBI agents torture her Harlan feels it as well yeah. and uh at the end season the end of season uh two episode 10 uh Harlan is is having this uh I, I guess this this crisis with his powers uh, that Vanya has given him. And at the end, he's able to, uh, Vanya believes that she's able to take back the powers she gave him. She did not take them back. She took back maybe a portion of the strength, but she didn't take them back completely. And it does leave this very open-ended, what does Harlan do in the future? How does Harlan impact the, Harlan impact the timeline? Yeah. And uh, it's it's really good. Like Vanya's plot is, is as, a, as, as a season arc, story it's it's wonderful i think it, it it touches a lot into her humanity without making her this crybaby character it makes her just uh, personally like somebody who anybody should be so lucky to have a partner or a friend who acts like vanya exactly i i completely completely agree with you um all right let's talk on out let's touch on allison and then let's move on to theories yes i okay 
So I loved what they did with Allison this season. I loved her. I loved her romance with Ray. I loved Ray. Yes. And, oh, God, yes. Uh, yeah, for real. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> continue. He, the second he walked in the door, I was like, oh, hello. What is going on, my friend? I, oh, my God. I love specifically that they gave you her backstory in the 60s. Yeah. Um, uh, specifically hers. Like, Diego's is not really touched on. Luther's is barely touched on. Vanya's is, you know, we, we get a lot of talking, but it's not really flashbacks. Uh, Allison, we get a we get a flashback. We get from the moment she arrives in Dallas until, you know, I was going to say modern day, but until the current present time in the, in the show. And it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, she's, like, because I think it really does touch on, you know, a lot of the things that I hear with regards to millennials is where, like, you know, like one of the talking points is, you say that you would have done, you would have acted differently if you went back to the 1960s, but you know that you wouldn't have or whatever. And I think with Allison, that's exactly how a lot of people, you know, you want to get involved in this. You, If you had the chance to go back in time and change it and become more involved, I think a lot of people... You know, that's that's a, such an admirable trait to be like, I know exactly what happened in the 60s. If I was a black American and I was making a stand, especially in a place like Texas, I could die. I could I could be murdered and nobody would be able to avenge me because I wasn't considered as much of a citizen as a white person was. Mm -hmm. And Allison, in turn, still does it. She's being chased down by three white men and she runs into a salon owned and operated by black women and they immediately with literally no question whatsoever stand up for her hold some fucking scissors in those white dudes face and say get the fuck on out and they do they leave and it's it's just it's beautiful because the sense of community that that has i think i mean i can't speak to you know having a sense of community within within the white women movement because i hate half of the white women that exist on this planet already so um but it's with with seeing like like running into a salon of people she had no idea who they were she had no idea if they would help her and they did they did without question and it's beautiful i think it's just specifically exploring the lens of the 1960s through allison and, you know, the Statler lunch counter uh, protest, which was a real event that really did occur during the civil rights movement. And they really had sugar poured over them and coffee poured on them. And they were, oh my God, it was horrifying. It was horrifying. People screaming in their ears. It was dehumanizing is the nicest word I can think about for that experience. If not, I would, I would just say that every white person who participated in it uh, was just... Uh, the scum of the earth, the yeah. garbage, the bottom barrel of humanity. And the worst, I mean, like, um, just like a, a point to tack on to the fact that that was a real occurrence. You know, that was like sanitized for TV. So they were saying worse shit. Like they were. Oh, absolutely. The slurs were probably flying left, right and everywhere in between. They were probably screaming it in every person's ears. They were probably talking about raping women. I mean, that's the thing is the sixties has been heavily sanitized by the entertainment industry. And, uh, it was in the 70s as well. But I mean, 60s, 70s, and the 50s were all heavily sanitized by the But they didn't skip industry. out on the brutality of it, which I think is very important. The, uh, exactly. Like, exactly. Um, it's it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to watch. I mean, the scene, especially when she, Allison later explains everything to Ray, you know, saying, oh, we had a black president, but like, you know, the, the, um the movement isn't over. And he yes. just looks so crestfallen. And it's like, Oh, God. And I think one of the things that Ray brings up once he finds out about Allison's power, because him and 
him and Allison's relationship does go through waves, uh, as any marriage that you got married into a year after dating would. <laughs> um, Listen, my parents got married three weeks into dating, or like six that's, weeks that's, into dating. That's fair. I will give you that, see, Mike and I got married after like uh, two and a half years. We were like, all right, we'll wait. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, you know, after a year of marriage, or, or sorry, after a year of dating, and not even that, they could have actually been dating shorter than that because she's... She, they met at, at, at a time after she started working for the hair salon. So, uh, but anyway, uh, they do have those ups and downs, you know, uh, his, her relationship to her brothers who, specifically the brothers who would introduce themselves to Ray, which is uh, <laughs> Luther and Klaus. Oh my that's God. a lot of, Klaus. that's a lot of, I think, uh, for, for, I think for the sixties to accept that, that uh, a black woman had white brothers was just an unknown I think I think it was just a lot for anybody to wrap their mind around and especially like a kind of gender fluid queer white brother and like a huge bodybuilder frightening like yes and for 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 Ray seeing a guy who looks like Luther he does obviously have these preconceived notions oh, that yeah. men who look like Luther have issues with anger he's he's not here because he's Allison's brother he's here because he's Allison's ex and he's here to take her or something along those yeah, lines yeah that's that's definitely and like we all know from, like, the evidence of, like, earlier episodes of the season that he's not like that, but, like, obviously, like, the context of the scene, Ray has every right to be afraid. And, like, I absolutely agree. I mean, listen, I love Luther, I love my soft boy, but if I were if I were in Ray's shoes, I would absolutely assume that man was in my house to come and beat the shit I, out of me. Like, and, like, the fact is he can't refuse him because of the rules of the time, you know, yep. like... He can't refuse this guy entry into his house. Like, if it were today and, like, a dude, I were Ray, and a dude like that came up to my door, I'd be like, fuck no, you're not coming inside. Like Legit, legit. Barricade your door, don't let him in. But what happens is, is uh, when he, so eventually he does find out about Allison's rumor power, which, as Hillary said in the beginning, Allison really has not used it the entire time she's been in Dallas. She has been very, well, one, she didn't have her voice for a year, but two, after she got her voice back, she was committed to not using this power in a way that would would give her an advantage over anyone. She was like, I have to earn everything I get. And that's beautiful. That's amazing to me that she has this power in which she literally could get whatever she wanted. And she didn't, she didn't choose to use it. And Ray, when he hears about it, he's like, we should use it. <laughs> and, and I love that because I was saying the exact same thing. I'm like, she's already fucked with the timeline, which is a constant thing that I've been saying throughout the entirety of the season. I'm like, this timeline's destroyed, guys. It's fine. Just do what you want, Allison. Just do what you want. And I... I think that the small things that she does, so like at Statler's, um, which is the place that the lunch counter protest occurred, she has the guy pour her a cup of coffee and she just keeps pouring it and pouring it and his fingers become red and blistered and burned. And I can tell you, I sat there watching that entire scene and I was like, yeah, do it again. One more time. Like I, like the, the fact, one of the, one of the constant things was strength and honor. I think it was strength and I can't remember dignity. the exact, what? I was, I think it was honor and dignity. Honor and dignity, that was it. And and it was just that Ray was very much into the nonviolent protests. And and I think for for Allison, like this man spilled coffee on not just her lap, but like directly onto her vagina. And I was like, Yeah, fucking burn his hands off. <laughs> like exactly. I was ready to I was just ready to like have her kill that dude and to have Ray pull her back and say, We can't do this. We have to be better than them. Like uh it's it touches on so much, I think, personally 
that politically was going on in the time in terms of the narrative of the white community versus the black community. The white community was like, we're going to kill them. And the black community instead said, we have to give them honor and dignity because we want that from them. Mm -hmm. And it's just, her arc is, is amazing. I think one of the complaints that I heard in the reviews that I've been watching was that uh, the way she, because at the end of the season, we're going to touch on this in a second, but at the end of the season, they all go back to 2019 and she sits down with Ray and Ray's like, no, I have a lot of work here to do and I can't stop it. And that's beautiful. That's amazing. Love that. Love to hear it. Love to see it. Um, but she writes him a letter and uh, one of the reviews I thought was watching was talking about how that's just such an unsatisfying close. And I'm like, or, or you could just accept, like, what did you fucking want? Like a, a, an interpretive dance for three and a half hours? Let's calm down here, lady. <laughs> oh my God. So that's, Allison's and now after they solve everything um they they don't necessarily beat Lila but they do beat the handler there's this whole uh side villain called the Swedes that we're not going to touch on because they're not really that important other than they serve to create some they're like mini boss fights in video games you're like ah these motherfuckers again and then they just kind of go away um <laughs> but they then skip ahead to 2019 back to the day after the apocalypse yeah, they've um, stopped it they've saved it and man, oh man, did they fuck up the timeline. They fuck up the timeline because um, they see uh, they see Reginald and they're like, I'm like, we're your children from the Umbrella Academy. And he's like, no, this is not the Umbrella Academy. This is the Sparrow Academy. And then they flip around and it's Ben with an emo haircut. And he's like, hey, dad, who are these assholes? And it turns and like Ben is implied to be like the number one honcho in this situation. Whew. And um, I, OK, unpopular opinion. I think he looks good. But like, uh, yeah, it is an unpopular opinion. <laughs> man. I just think that actor looks good in general. I just think he's very handsome. The hair. Yeah. Oh, no. Justin Hman is absolutely gorgeous as hell. The, the hair. The hair is very stupid. But yeah, yeah um, that, that'd be that'd be my biggest complaint. <laughs> But what can you do? Um. <laughs> so, but yes, yeah, so and then it pans up and you see five additional, like, children, adults? Who knows? They're, they're, they're silhouetted. We can't tell. And a green box. And a green box. That's what I wanted to see. A green box. Yeah, don't give me any context. Why would I need context? That's silly. Oh <laughs> when are you releasing season three? There's not a pandemic going on, so you can't film. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, like, crying about it. Uh, me too. I'm literally like, who the fuck is Green Box? I have so many questions. All right. So I'm just going to like quickly steamroll through everything that I am hoping will be addressed in season three. Okay, go. All right. Number one, Pogo, obviously alive. We have to assume. Let's pray. Cha-Cha, she's back. I need her. I need, I need my Mary. I need, I need her to be here. I need to be around. I need also Hazel, please. I want Hazel. Um, I just need them both. Cha-Cha and Hazel were like my life force in season one. Like they were the ones who kept me going. So if we can just get like all the good energy season two has accrued and just add some like Mary J and like Hazel in there. Yes, please. Okay. Number three, um, does mom exist anymore? Is she a different person now? Cause obviously they broke up. Number four um, or th five, who knows what number I'm on at this point. Um, is Reginald less of a dickwad because his children from the future went and saw him in the past and said, Hey, we're your kids. And Reginald was like, nah, you're fucking not going to be. Um, <laughs> number six or seven. I completely lose train. Is Lila part of the Sparrow Academy? Number 12. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Number 12. Um, where are, are do, do these, do these, does the Umbrella Academy also exist in this timeline? Have we created a paradox? Are they all going to be violently farting now? Okay. So 
here are my theories. Lila has gone to a completely different time period. I think that um, Diego let her escape. She is yes. running solo. I think she is trying to prevent the death of her parents. I think that is what she is stopping it. I think that's what she's doing. Well, if she prevents the death of her parents, then that version of her disappears. That's fine. <laughs> okay. But then that would leave it open to that, the, that timeline of Lila's parents being saved being in the Sparrow Academy. Yes. She might. I don't think she's in the Sparrow Academy because I think it's an American thing. But like, um, like, why would she have the English accent? But that's just that's me being nitpicky. Um, <laughs> um, I uh, I think that Ben is. Uh, I think Ben has a different power than. Um, I don't think he has the Cthulhu power. I think he's like Luther, like Luther esque in terms of strength, and he is like valued as five was valued in the Umbrella original Umbrella Academy. I think okay. these orig- these new siblings are much better trained. I think Reggie is nicer. Yeah, I would say just based on the, the three minutes of interaction you get with him at the end of the episode, you're like, well, this one seems like he doesn't hit his kids. Or, you know, tell them that they're responsible for the other one's death. I like this. Yeah. Um, um, I think that uh, I, I, do, I do think that the um, they're going to try... There's going to be... Um, like a reconnaissance of Ben. Like they're going to try and focus. There's going to be a lot of confusion being like them being like, but this is not our Ben and like blah, blah, blah. And, -hmm. you know, um, I do think he'll have a change of heart or something like that. Or like, he'll like do a heel face turn and become like a better character or a better person. And like one of the other siblings will like try to bring him back into the fold or something. I think there will be a betrayal of trust between this Ben and the, like, he'll join the Umbrella Academy or something like that. Like, that is, like, my main theory. Like, this this iteration of Ben is very important. You know what I'm thinking is uh, one of the... Because the thing with time travel and timelines is there's about 682,000 movies that deal with this. Uh, so when people talk about, hey, this doesn't follow the laws of time travel, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, were they written down somewhere? Um uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so with Ben specifically, one of the tropes that I've seen, now this is, this is a trope that with time travel, there's like 800,000 tropes because there's just, there's no consistent theory on time travel. Okay. Um, but sometimes, especially with timelines specifically. Mm-hmm. So this Ben and Ben that hug, you know, hug me as I go, Vanya, are the same Ben. They were born to the same mother on October 1st, 1989. They still have the exact, like genetically, they are the same person. Now, whether or not their power is the same, that's up for discussion. But what I am thinking is one of the one of the things I've seen in, in prior films and TV shows is that usually you can access the memories of an alternate timeline version of yourself if you come into contact with people who sh- who knew that timeline version of you. Okay. So I feel like this Ben and Klaus are going to have a very different kind of relationship, obviously. Obviously, yeah. Um, but I think eventually Klaus will be this Ben's foil. You know, he'll be the reason. Like Klaus, Klaus is going to have a kind of humanity to him that I would say he hasn't had in the last couple of seasons right now it's just been unbridled sexual energy that we're all just like dripping over um, <laughs> but but it's it's and that's exciting to like see I think uh, a different aspect of that relationship my biggest questions are who are these members of the Sparrow Academy from what I could tell it looked like two people were wearing skirts 
uh, three people were wearing pants and then there was a green box. And I really, I think all of my questions revolve around the green box. Like, why is there a green box? Is it a person? Did a lady give birth to a smaller cube that has suddenly become bigger over time? Was it born out of a vending machine on October 1st, 1989? I have questions. I want to know. Is this the equivalent of Ben to the Sparrow Academy in the sense that 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 member of the Sparrow Academy died and they just put its soul into a green box, whoever that person is. I, I'm just, I'm, I have so many questions and I'm so excited to see what the TV show does because the comic really can only inform so much. And it's beautiful like that. I love that because you can read the entire comic book. You can be Gerard Way and you'll be like, I don't fucking know, man. <laughs> yeah, Gerard Way is just going to be like, recording weird songs and like collecting star wars figurines and kind of just being like all right whatever um, yeah i mean he's like just gonna write another like volume after uh apocalypse suite and he'll be like not apocalypse suite hotel oblivion and he'll just be like all right well i'm just gonna continue writing my story choose what you like out of here that's a menu <laughs> um. all right guys and with that that is actually the longest episode of dear fandom we've ever recorded um, it is but man i loved it <laughs> man, I loved every second of it um thank you guys so much for listening um next week we'll cover something we'll um, cover something definitely <laughs> yeah um we're kind of flying we're kind of doing it fast and loose right now especially since um the weather is getting kind of muggy and gross and like Megan is getting closer to birth and um when Megan goes uh Megan goes on maternity leave we have a bunch of episodes queued up for you to keep you entertained up until then yes um, so yeah um let us know um send us an email dearfandompodcast at gmail.com with your theories on what might happen in the third eventual series released in 2025 of <laughs> <laughs> coming Academy. at some point soon <laughs> at some point all right well have a good one. Bye. Bye.